right. Well, tonight uh, we are going to be in Psalm 87. Uh, it's um, only seven verses, and so we'll be reading the entire psalm in just a second. Psalm 87, verses 1 through 7. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. Hear the word of the Lord. On the holy mount stands the city he founded. The Lord loves the gates of Zion more than all the dwelling places of Jacob. Glorious things of you are spoken, O city of God. Among those who know me, I mention Rahab and Babylon. Behold, Philistia and Tyre with Cush. This one was born there, they say. And of Zion it, sh it shall be said, this one and that one were born in her. For the Most High himself will establish her. The Lord records as he registers the peoples, this one was born there. Singers and dancers alike say, all my springs are in you. Thus ends the reading of God's holy word. So just a couple of weeks back, um, our music director, Clay, suggested that we sing hymn 171, Glorious Things of Thee Are Spoken, uh, because he was like, it's coming up. You're about to preach on it. So I was like, all right, that's a great idea. Let's do it. Um, and, uh, and, and in this hymn that was, um, I, I've heard of it before. I was pretty, uh, I was somewhat familiar to the tune, but I couldn't recall it, you know, stuff. But it turns out, of course, this is a very well-known hymn <laughs> that was written by uh, none other than John Newton, the author of Amazing Grace. So, uh, so uh, no surprise, this is a well-known, well-beloved hymn. And uh, now the psalm that that hymn alludes to, this psalm, Psalm 87, is uh, short and sweet, uh, coming in at only seven verses, and it is certainly categorized rightly as a psalm of praise. The only challenge really lies in figuring out what in the world it means, okay? Seven verses, you're like, it sounds really happy and great. I don't know what this means, except it's about Zion. I know that. I know Zion's involved here. Uh, but what does that mean? Because if you start flipping around in your Bibles in the Old Testament, you're going to find a variety of usages of the name Zion. Technically, you'll find that Zion uh, often refers to the city of Jerusalem. Uh, it is used that way, particularly in Psalms and in the prophet Isaiah. Figuratively, Zion is used to represent the city of Jerusalem. It's used to represent Israel as a whole. It's used to represent the people of God. It is also used to represent the heavenly Jerusalem, the place of future glory according to the prophetic promises found in the Old Testament. Um, and so the... And, and further, we see when we look at those promises that the promises of God in the covenant are tied to Zion and to the future of Zion. Now, certainly the best commentary we have on, uh, on this passage or on, even on Zion itself is the Bible itself and specifically the book of Hebrews, which we'll look at that passage later. Uh, but in Hebrews 12, uh, Hebrews identifies uh, Mount Zion with the blessings of the new covenant in Jesus Christ. Now, I'm saying all this at the beginning to do a little bit of path clearing for us, because this is a wonderful psalm of praise, and I want to get as quickly as we can to the, the beautiful message 
that, that this psalm brings to us, which is a message of certain hope for the people of God who are struggling in the world. And, and this is because um, this song of praise is given in full view of all the threats the evils of the day bring upon us as the people of God. Israel in the Old Testament, we are reminded, uh, did not know many years of peace and prosperity. It's not like they just had, a, you know, just an easy bed of roses life as a nation. Much of their life was spent in slavery and then wandering in the desert, and then warding off various oppressors while they were residents in the land. Eventually, they were sent into exile out of the promised land for 70 years, and e but they returned, but even when they did so, they did so under Gentile rule, and it remained that way for many, many years. Yet their covenant with God Always, no matter where they were at in that history, the covenant with God always gave them good hope, certain hope for better things, no matter what their circumstances said about them. And, and that is also true of the church today. So tonight we're going to hear about gl our glorious hope as considered in two aspects, particularly as it relates to Zion. First, we're going to look at the foundations of Zion in verses 1 through 3. And then secondly, in verses 4 through 7, the joyful hope of Zion. So first, we consider tonight the, the foundations of Zion in the opening three verses. And the first thing we see in verse 1 is that Zion is the city founded by God. Jerusalem it's, was actually in its history before it was uh, before it was the Israel capital, um, it was uh, once a pagan city that was conquered and taken over uh, as, the, as the, the Hebrews came into the promised land. Um, it was not until David that Jerusalem uh, became the capital city of Israel. But there on the holy mount stands the city that God founded, the psalmist said. And so what does Jerusalem represent here? What does Zion represent? Well, one scholar notes that it says that the themes of election, divine presence, worship, prosperity, ingathering, conversion, transformation, judgment, and salvation are all closely associated with the tradition of Jerusalem, Zion, and the holy city. In short, a lot. There's a lot going on with Zion. The founding of Jerusalem itself, the city that's founded by God for his people, even there in the Old Testament, the fact that it exists and that it is the capital city of Israel, well, it, 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 that, that, uh, that means the, the founding of Jerusalem involves uh, you know, the Exodus miracles, the deliverance of, of the people at the Red Sea, the upholding of Israel in the wilderness, establish him in the promised land. It involves the Ark of the Covenant and the tabernacle coming to Jerusalem as symbols of God's presence and blessing. In short, the founding of Zion is God bringing his people into his place and blessing them as he rules over them. And so it's the city that is founded by God. In verse 2, it is also the city that God loves. 
The writer declares that Yahweh, the covenant God, loves the gates of the city more than anywhere else. That is, God has set his favor upon the city. He has set his affection upon it. Jerusalem is the city of blessed kingly rule and divine worship. But we note that that is a result of God's favor, not the cause of God's favor. It's not because they had good kings and they set up the temple there that God says, I love this city. It is because he loves the city that there is kingly rule and divine worship. We must remember that God loves his people, that he gives grace to his people and blesses his people, not according to the worthiness or the goodness inherent in his people, but his own worthiness and goodness. The city God founded is the city that God loves. But the writer is not just writing a, you know, a, 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 a song about how awesome you know, his favorite city is. He's not just be like, man, the capital city, Washington, Washington D.C. is amazing. It's the best. All right, that's not what he's doing here. He is reveling in the love of God for his people that emanates out through the kingly rule and the worship that goes on in Zion, in Jerusalem. Indeed, we're told by the writer of Hebrews that those who died in the faith were not disappointed, nor were they distracted with only earthly aspirations. But in Hebrews eleven sixteen, he says, as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. God has prepared for his people a heavenly city, the author says. But what city is that? Well, he goes on in Hebrews 12, verses 22 to 24. He says, but you have come, and he's comparing it to Sinai. And he says, but you've not come to Sinai, you've come to Mount Zion. And to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. The author of Hebrews understands that, that the Zion of earth points to the Zion of heaven, the heavenly Jerusalem. He describes it as the city of God. And to come to Zion is to come to a place of celebrating angels, to the gathering of the redeemed. It is to come to God himself, to Jesus to the mediator of the new covenant, to the very blood of Christ that proclaims redemption and eternal blessing. Here is the city that God loves. And as such, we see that Zion is the people that God blesses in verse 3. And here we find the, the hymn title. Glorious things of the of, about thee are, are of <laughs> glorious things of thee are spoken, O city of God. A wonderful line, but what glorious things are spoken? Indeed, at the very least, it would have to be the promises of the prophets 
that, uh, that restoration and redemption will come to Zion. These are the promises that uh, Jesus' disciples were still asking about during his earthly ministry. Is it now... Is, it, is, is now the time for the restoration? Is now the time for the consolation of Israel? Right? Is now the time of the promises? And so, and so well, uh, the idea here is that while uh, Zion may experience judgment and affliction in the present moment, there will yet be Zion will yet be a glorious place of security because of the promises, because God will be there. It will be a place of restoration because his promises will come true. It will be a place of salvation because the king will come and rule from there. There will be a place of glory because the nations will come and worship. But, but we have to ask ourselves, why say this line? Why, does it, why do they need to be told that glorious things of thee are spoken? Well, because God's people need reminding. As they look around at the moment, apparently they may indeed wonder if glorious things would ever come to the city or to the people of God again. And we may wonder the very same thing about the church, or about our lives. In the mess of things, with the current state of the world, with the church that is so full of weaknesses, flaws, and imperfections, what hope do we have? And then, in our, you know, flailing about, we hear that refrain. That refrain in verse 3 that lifts our hearts from the dust, yet glorious things of thee are spoken city of God. Christian, those words are for us. Those words are for you. They're for the church. And notice, it's not nice things are being spoken about you. Good things are being spoken about you. Great things are being spoken about you. No, glorious things are spoken of you. Let those words encourage you that the God who spoke the world into existence, who sent the, his very word, his son, Jesus Christ, into the world, has spoken glorious words concerning you, concerning me, concerning his church. His word, his very son, secures those promises and applies them by the breath of the Holy Spirit. This is a word for the people of God who are downtrodden, downcast, and heavy laden. Take heart, Christian. Glorious things of you are spoken. God has founded his church on the cornerstone of his son with the apostles and the prophets. He loves his church. And then he speaks glorious things about her. And we know that God's word does not fail. That is the foundations of Zion. His word, the glorious things that he has spoken in his grace and mercy as he established his people. But now we turn to verses 4 through 7. And the joyful hope of Zion. 
And we see here, and this is a very interesting section here, uh, and in verse 4, we see this, that, that Zion has become a gathering place of the nations. The psalmist lists a, a bunch of uh, foreign nations, even enemy, hostile nations, surrounding Israel. Now, Rahab, for some reason that I don't know yet, uh, is used by the psalmist to refer to Egypt, just so you know. That's, that's what Rahab is, so it's Egypt. So, um, and uh, effectively, this is, is, the psalmist is describing some of the most remote corners of the known world at the time. But the scene is odd because the nations described are not treated in a hostile way. They're not treated even in terms of divine judgment. Rather, we see the nations gathering to Zion as though Zion is a beacon of God's light. And these nations are said to be born in her, that is, in Zion. We see a similar situation in the New Testament with the book of Acts at Pentecost, where the dispersed Jewish people from among the nations, far flung, gathered together and are presented with the gospel and the Holy Spirit descends upon the church. Here in this section of the psalm, the uh, scholar Derek Kidner, he calls this a description of the gospel age where the dividing line of God's people is not one of physical descent, whether or not you belong to the physical nation of Israel, but of faith in Christ. Those who know God are born of her. And it should not be lost on the, us this, and I read this line, it just really stuck out to me, that Zion, Jerusalem on earth, was the place where Jesus set his face and was destined to go die. But it was also the place from which the gospel sprung in the book of Acts and flew out into the world. Jesus goes to Jerusalem to die. He goes into Zion to die. And he dies. And then from Zion, the gospel explodes out. But we must also ponder not only the gathering of the nations here, but the path to citizenship in Zion. Citizenship is all the rage in politics today, right? With the, southern, the crisis at the southern border. But that's not the kind of citizenship we're talking about, right? The path to citizenship in verses 5 through 6 is very interesting. The, the psalmist says that God will establish the city, which is odd because he already talked about that it was already founded by God. But now he's going to establish it. Well, how is he going to establish it? Well, the establishing seems to apply to how people are made citizens in Zion. And in those days, he says, in the days of what, uh, of what we call the gospel age, as the nations come to the light of the knowledge of God in Christ, it will be said of them that they were born in Zion. But how can one be born twice? Now, where have I heard that question come? Right? Indeed, here the psalmist, long before John 3, describes spiritual rebirth. One becomes a citizen of Zion by knowing God, and this can only be done by God's gracious condescension. Though they were not born of Zion naturally, the Lord himself causes them to be born of Zion as he records their names in the register or is the thing we like to call the book of life. Glorious things are spoken of Zion, but how do we get a share in such glorious things as the people of God? By knowing God. 
by faith. Once again, we go to Hebrews 12, where the author reminds us in that passage we read earlier that to come to Zion is to come to Jesus, to come to his blood that speaks a better word than Abel's blood. It's a powerful line when you think about it. What word did Abel's blood cry out? It cried out condemnation upon his murderous brother. It cried out justice for sinners. But the blood of Christ speaks a better word. It cries out mercy for sinners. It cries out forgiveness. For Christ's innocent blood was shed as payment for the penalty of our sins. And to secure for us the blessings of his kingdom. By faith in Christ, we are enrolled in Zion by the blood of the Son of God. And it is indelible ink, cannot be erased. And we are ruled by Christ our mediator, and he will not fail us. And this leads us to verse 7, our final point tonight, which is the joyful hope, not only of Zion, but really of the church. In view of such wonderful promises, how do we respond? What, what do we say? Because verse 7 is kind of a curious ending uh, to the psalm. But really, it is just the response of joyful worship by Zion citizens. And, and, and as we think about it, you know, the, the Puritans like to, des- to describe the Christian life in terms of a pilgrimage. Right? We are citizens of Zion headed toward Zion. That's what we are. We're like Christian in, in Pilgrim's Progress who has uh, his citizenship in the eternal city. He has the right to enter, but he has not entered it yet. That is the picture here of we who are headed to Zion. And we are not then looking for a city built by human hands. We are looking for the one that is founded by God, like the author of Hebrews says. And so we sing, all my springs are in you. That is, all that gives us life and strength and joy come from God. Indeed, as the Gospel of John said, the Holy Spirit blesses us, sealing us to, to us the promises of God and causes springs of life to flow out from us. We overflow with life because of God, the Gospel. Here is the hope of the church, the hope of Zion. And so we face a great many struggles today. And the reality is, the longer we live on this earth, the more sorrows and the more burdens we rack up. Isn't that true? Yet yet also we draw closer and closer to Zion, to the great everlasting city with every step and with every day. The kingdom of heaven is near. Zion is near, and when we go into glory, we will go into Zion because of Christ. And so we sing with strong voices the line that we already sang tonight. Savior, since the Zion city, since of Zion city, I through grace a member am. Let the world deride or pity, I will glory in thy name. Fading is the worldling's pleasures, 
all his boasted pomp and show, solid joys and lasting treasures, none but Zion's children know. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for a short psalm with big promises, with huge implications. And we pray, Lord, that we would remember this psalm when we need to be reminded, when, we, when life feels decidedly inglorious, when life feels dark and sorrowful and despairing, when we look around our, in our circumstances and they, are, and they are screaming at us to give up hope and faith. It just, if we just look around, we, we don't have much to hope in. Lord, we pray that we would turn to your word. We would turn to even Psalm 87. That we would remind ourselves that the glorious things of Zion, of your people, of the church are spoken. For as your word reveals, we are the city of God in the end, and you will dwell in your city forever, and you will not fail to bring about the fullness of every promise you have given to us. And so, Lord, we hold on, and this is a song that we hold on to that encourages our hearts that strengthens our feet and our weak knees and our hands, that we may continue along the journey. And we pray this all in Jesus' wonderful, glorious, and beautiful name. Amen.